So the reading today is from Hebrews 4, chapters 1 to, 1 to 13. Um, and it's on page 847 of the Bibles that you have. Therefore, since the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us be careful that none of you be found to have fallen short of it. For we also have had the gospel preached to us, just as they did. But the message they heard was of no value to them, because those who heard did not combine it with faith. Now we, who have believed, enter that rest, just as God has said. So I declared on oath in my anger, they shall never enter my rest. And yet his work has been finished since the creation of the world. For somewhere he has spoken about the seventh day in these words. And on the seventh day, God rested from all his work. And again, in the passage above, he says, they shall never enter my rest. It still remains that some will enter that rest, and those who formerly had the gospel preached to them did not go in because of their disobedience. Therefore, God again set a certain day, calling it today, when the long time, sorry, when a long time later he spoke through David, as was said before. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken later about another day. There remains then a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For anyone who enters God's rest also rests from his own work, just as God did from his. Let us therefore make every effort to enter that rest so that no one will fall by following their example of disobedience. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give account. This is the word of God. So page 847, if you have the Pew Bibles in front of you, let's pray and ask for the Lord's help as we come to his word together. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for uh, the, the command to rest. Please help us discern what it tells us about our future this morning. And please help us to live into that future in the present. In Jesus' name, amen. The idea of progress is in the air that we breathe in the modern world. Whether it's technological progress or economic or political or social, we're surrounded by stories of advancement. We're developing. We're advancing. But one of the, the confusing things at the heart of modern life is the fact that the idea of progress, it's this incredibly powerful, motivating factor. We're going somewhere, we're headed somewhere, and it's become this motivating idea precisely at the same time that any foundation for belief in the idea of progress has disappeared. 
So we believe that we're progressing and we don't have any reason to believe that we're progressing. We don't know where we're going. I mean, the idea of progress requires a goal. It requires an end point relative to which you can measure where you are. So if you're running a race, as some of us in the room do, you know that you're winning based on how the, where the finish line is, how close you are to it, how the people around you are. But if there's no goal, if there's no sense that we're headed somewhere, then it's not possible to make progress or to know what progress even would look like. Ancient people understood this, which is why pagan cultures from uh, ancient Greece to indigenous Americans to uh, Indian Hindus to Chinese Buddhists all understood time to be cyclical. The changing of the seasons, the phases of the moon, the cycle of, of birth and death. For them, this was evidence that we, we live in an endless cycle of repetition. The universe has always existed and will always exist, and we're just in a circle. Without the, the sort of unifying perspective of a, a monotheism, history in general and humanity in particular, we're not headed toward any particular specific end. Rather, everyone and everything is simply one stage or another on the great wheel, or as that great philosopher King Mufasa says to his son Simba in The Lion King, it's the circle of life. It moves us all. And that's it. We're not going anywhere. And yet that's not how we think, is it? That's not how our society thinks. Everywhere we find talk of progress. The Marxist CCP talks of political progress and development. The liberal democracies of the West, they talk of social progress. Therapists encourage a psychological progress, and computer companies work towards a technological progress. The idea of progress is so deeply embedded in the way that we think about the world that it's become an argument in and of itself. When we're talking about deep-seated problems in our world, things like racism or disease or poverty, we say to each other, can you believe we still have to worry about these things in 2023? I can't believe it as though we, we should have moved on. We should have left that in the past. And certain political opinions and moral positions are dismissed as being on the wrong side of history. And the question is, how do we know where history is going? Is it going somewhere? Where is it going? If there is no God, then we are just atoms in motion. There's no overall direction. There's no meaning to things. Oh, we might try to each invent our own personal meanings, but deep down we're still aware that it's my invention. It doesn't tell me anything about where things are actually going, just where I want them to go. And whoever has the most power will ultimately decide where history goes, because there's no, there's no trajectory to it if there's no God. The fact is that the idea of progress is not self-evident. It is a faith position. It is a belief. 
And it's a belief that has, historically speaking, come from Christianity. To a pagan world that was spinning around in circles, that Christians proclaimed the good news that the universe and everyone in it was going somewhere. We're headed somewhere. Everything has an origin and a goal because in the beginning God created everything for a purpose, towards an end. We're headed toward God's determined end. The, the Greek word for it is eschaton. And perhaps you've heard the, the word, uh, the theological word, eschatology. It's the study of the last things. And so if the long arc of history bends toward justice, as Martin Luther King Jr. said, it's because God is bending it towards justice. And if individuals and cultures really can be spoken of more as, uh, uh, as more progressive or regressive, then the basis must be how closely they align with that divine goal, those last things that God is bringing about. Does that make sense? So what is the goal? What is the goal? Where is everything headed? And we saw at the beginning of this series in, um, on the Sabbath, that according to Genesis 2, the goal, the perfection of all of creation is the restful enjoyment of God. God created the universe in six days, and on the seventh day he rested, not because he was tired as though God could grow tired, but in order to show humanity that was made in his image the purpose of creation and the purpose of creation cannot be found within creation itself. It's not in the created things around us. The Sabbath rest points us away from the concerns of the world around us towards enjoyment, fellowship, and worship. Creatures find their purpose, their completion, in their enjoyment of the relationship with their creator. That's what the Sabbath teaches us. That's what God teaches us right at the beginning of the Bible. And in this week's reading from Hebrews 4, we find the author of Hebrews tracing that theme of Sabbath right from the beginning. He's talking about Genesis 2 at a certain point in this reading. Through the history of Israel, through the church age, which he's writing in, and to the eschaton, to the last things, the very end of time. And he tells us that from the, from the beginning to the end, the goal has remained the same, entering God's rest. That's what we're created for. That's where we're headed. The meaning and purpose of life, the thing that all of creation is longing for, groaning for, the finish line of history is rest with God. Therefore, we might say that progress can be measured based on how close we are to receiving that promised rest. The first thing I want you to see from this reading this week is that there is a present rest for the people of God. There is a, a rest for the people of God presently. Now the letter to the Hebrews can be understood as one long sermon. It was written to a first century urban 
dwelling city people who were so burdened by the troubles and persecutions of being a Christian in a, a dominantly non-Christian culture that they wanted to give up being Christians and go back to Judaism. And the overall message of the letter is you've got to stick with Jesus because he is the fulfillment of everything that God has promised. If they lose Jesus, they will lose everything. That's the repeated message that the author of Hebrews keeps circling back to. And in this section, the author of Hebrews is quoting from Psalm 95 to draw a direct parallel between the people he's writing to and the generation of Israelites who'd been delivered from slavery out of Egypt and who were on their way to the promised land in Canaan. In verse 3, he quotes from Psalm 95, and he reminds the church that when the children of Israel were wandering in the desert and becoming weary, they began to turn on God. Having been saved, they started to accuse him of tricking them, of leading them out to somewhere so that he could kill them off. And so they began to deliberately disobey him. It was incredibly ungrateful. And so what is the worst punishment that God could give to that? No rest. No rest. Uh, So I declare on oath in my anger, they shall never enter my rest. And we know from the poetic retelling in Psalm 95 and, and the historic accounts in Numbers and Deuteronomy that that entire first generation that had been powerfully led out of Egypt and led out of slavery, they spent 40 years wandering in the wilderness and died in the wilderness, having never entered God's rest. In fact, it was only after that entire generation died off, except for Joshua and Caleb, that their children were able to enter into the promised land. And yet, even then, according to verse 8 of our reading, Even when they entered the promised land, they did not have the fullness of the rest yet. They were still restless, still disobedient. And it seems true to me in in my experience and in my discussions with others that when we turn away from God, seeking rest elsewhere, we always end up restlessly wandering. We might, ironically, seek rest in our work in our achievements. We, we might seek rest in our romantic relationships or in the pursuits of pleasures or in new experiences. Always thinking rest is just around the corner and yet rest eludes us. On a societal scale, we might expand our empires. We might develop stunning new technologies We might increase the GDP tenfold year on year. But what will we be left with? A wealthy, technologically advanced, powerful people that grow more anxious and more lonely. That's what we see, isn't it, in the most advanced cultures of the world, technologically speaking. Because we don't know where we're going 
We, we can't tell if we're making progress, or rather we know we aren't making progress. Because there's work underneath our work. We need to prove ourselves. We need to justify ourselves. We need to silence the voice that says, I'm not okay, we're not good enough, I'm not acceptable, there's something wrong with us. And after all the striving, we don't find rest. So the author of Hebrews applies this truth about the way that humanity is when it turns from God to his first readers and to us when he says, Therefore, verse 1, since the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us be careful that none of you be found to have fallen short of it. For we also have had the good news proclaimed to us just as they did. But the message they heard was of no value to them because they did not share the faith of those who obeyed. Now we who have believed enter that rest. Verse 9, there remains then a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For anyone who enters God's rest also rests from their works, just as God did from his. So here's the application. Believe God and rest. The goal of the human life then and now is no different. It's still to enter God's rest. God's gracious promise and his good news is no different. He still offers rest. The question posed by the author of Hebrews to us is will our response be different? Because now as then, it's only those who believe God who will enjoy his rest. What does it mean to believe God? Two things, I think, at least. It means to believe God when he says that he's for you. He's for you. He's not tricking you. He's not out to get you. He has not brought you to this difficult point in your life in order to bring you to a shameful and destructive end. That's what the Israelites believed. But it wasn't true. God loves you. He has shown his love for you in the Lord Jesus Christ. He was willing to go to the depths of hell to bring you to the heights of heaven. He's for you. Believe he's for you. Secondly, it means that we've got to believe God when he says that our works will not justify us. There is no work that you can do that will make you acceptable to God. There is no work that you can do that will prove your worth to all the people around you. There is no work that you can do that will finally make the voice in the back of your head go away that says, you are not what you should be. Nothing you do will lead to those goals. Anyone who, enter God's, who enters God's rest also rests from their work. Because your work is not going to get you there. My work is not going to get me there. But Christ's work gets us there. He's the one that justifies us in the eyes of God. Not our works, his. He's the one that sanctifies us from all unrighteousness. Not beating ourselves up or self-improvement plans. Him sanctifying us. He's the one that will glorify us in the sight of all people. 
So finally, what we have lived our lives for, if we've lived for him, will be vindicated before all people, fully, finally. Christ's work works. And we get rest when we believe God. There is a present rest for the people of God that comes from believing the gospel. The generation of Israelites wandering in the wilderness, they failed to receive it. Even the generations who entered the promised land did not receive it in its fullness. But those of us who believe that out of love, Jesus Christ went to the cross for our redemption and was raised to glorify, we have rest. The gospel gives a present rest to the people of God. But secondly, there is a a hope for a future rest for the people of God. That's also very clearly the, the author of Hebrews' message here. There is a future rest for the people of God. Verse 3 told us when we believe the gospel, we rest. And I think that is the experience of most Christian people. I hope it's your experience. But I think when we come to verse 11, we're told about the future rest. Let us therefore make every effort to enter that rest so that no one will perish by following their example of disobedience. This is, on the one hand, the hope of rest in the new heavens and the new earth. The book of Revelation um, gives us a, a, a picture of a future perfect rest without any more sadness, with, with no more pain, no more toil, where all is light and life and joy as we worship God forever. That's where everything is headed. All who believe the gospel can have a sure and certain hope of that future. And that makes every trouble we face here seem light and momentary in comparison to that eternal joy. But I think the author of Hebrews is also saying that so long as we live the Christian life, there is always more rest available to us in the future. So while we live from this moment, thinking forward in a week, in a month, in a year, in a decade, there is more rest available to you. You will never get all the rest that God has for you because you have to keep going back to the gospel to get more rest the whole of your life. So when things aren't going well and when failure strikes and when criticisms are piling up and when something goes wrong, and your immediate response is to make a to-do list and, and to work longer hours and to, to be more restless and, and get more work in, what you need to do is return to the gospel and find rest. What we need to do is return to the, the truth that Christ's work is the only thing that will justify, sanctify, glorify us. And we'll find that there's always more rest, which I think brings us back to this idea of progress. The author of Hebrews is telling us, make every effort to rest. Now that is a bit of a strange phrase, isn't it? Make every effort to rest. But I think he's saying, you can make progress. As we go through more challenges and difficulties in life, and we keep returning to God in faith, 
and obedience, our rest will increase. And there is progress to be made in the Christian life. The young person who's just starting out in faith, just beginning to follow Jesus, well, they may have to be anxious as they wonder, will the gospel, will Christ really get me through the thrills and tragedies of romance? Will he really help me through the ups and downs of the career that's ahead of me? Is the gospel really going to sustain me if I grow sick and if people I love die? And all those unknowns, they loom large on the horizon and they think, is it, can it really be true? I have faith, but I just I can't see how. But then there are the saints who've been following Christ for decades. And your faith, to some extent, has become sight. You've made progress as you've experienced time and again that the gospel of God's grace in Christ has given you rest. In the hard times in your marriage, in the uncertain times in your careers, when you weren't sure what to do as parents or as children caring for aged parents, when your earthly hope was lost, You found rest in Jesus. Which means that step by step, you have made progress. Progress toward the goal that you were created for. That you will enjoy. You rest now more in the gospel than you used to. And by God's grace, next year you will rest more and more and more until you come into the fullness of God's rest in the new heavens and the new earth. There is a rest. There is a hope for the people of God. As we walk through the difficult things in life and continue to trust Jesus, we make progress. We will experience the rest now. There's more rest to get the fullness will come. Amen. Father, thank you that you give us rest. You give us rest now in this moment, and I pray that anyone here dealing with anxieties and uncertainties, that they would turn again to your gospel and find rest for the present moment. I pray that by your grace and and by your work in our lives, we would know you more and trust you more this year than we did last and next year than we do now. And that we would make progress as individuals and as a church in enjoying your rest. We look forward to that future rest that you promise. When the fullness is, is here, when we behold you face to face, when we worship you in endless joy. Please keep us going to that day. In Jesus' name, amen.